0: Welcome to The Doorway to Everything with Janine Roth. I spent years, when I was in high school and all through my 20s, wanting desperately to get rid of this thing with food, just feeling like it was the albatross around my neck. It was my cross to bear. It was my wound. It was the thing that affected and colored everything and wanted it so badly. I'd look at people who seemingly didn't have stuff with food, although I've now since come to believe that everybody, as they say in Yiddish, has a shtick with food. Everybody since... It is truly the way, the first way we knew we were loved on this earth is through food, is through being fed, is through our mouths. Everything as a baby is completely centered in the mouth and receiving, love, holding food. They are all completely synonymous during those first six months of life. So how could it not be that food and love would get confused with each other, especially if we weren't attuned to, if when we wanted to be changed, we got fed. If we wanted to be fed, we got changed. If there, and it's unavoidable. You know, Nobody's perfect can tell exactly what a baby wants. So that utter lack of attunement, which allows us at the very beginning of our lives to feel like the world is okay, that there actually is enough food, that we will get held, that we will get touched, that we will be loved and fed in exactly the ways we need to... That hasn't happened, didn't happen. And it happened enough for us to be sitting here because if it didn't happen enough, we wouldn't actually be sitting in this room. We would have what's called failure to thrive syndrome and we would have shriveled up. Babies die when they, they're not given enough of that, when they're given enough food and clothing and warmth, but not given enough of that attunement, they die. So we had enough, but not enough to allow us to completely relax and to trust Mm -hmm. that there is enough in the world that we will get our needs met. So it that's the gift. It's a developmental quirk in some ways that we have to go through separating from the utter abundance and love and relaxation of being alive to get all tight and uh, contracted and identified with not having enough and how are we going to get it and defended against taking in. Everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through it. And so really... The journey of human life is the journey of return, back to what we knew when we were born, but we didn't know we knew. But this time, knowing from a different place, knowing from a conscious and aware place, because as babies there is no awareness. Today, I'm going to start by talking to you about my deeper understanding of emotional eating as I've begun to understand it since I've been starting to teach our retreats. Because in the retreats, I am now working with people over time. I've gotten to track and understand over time people's process with food in a way that I didn't get to understand when I would just do night and day workshops or two-day workshops and never see anybody again and also my ability to see what happened to me with food, I've begun to put pieces of puzzles together. Again, I want to remind you that this is the map of the territory. I want to say that, and I want to frame everything that I say, that this is a process. It's a journey, like the nomads. It's not something I believe that you can do by yourself. I just don't think you can do this alone. I think you need a lot of support. I need a lot of support. I get a lot of support in my life now. I consider myself most of all a student. It happens to be that in situations like this and in workshops, my retreats, I have the label of teacher, I seem to be the one standing up here just as miraculous to me as to anybody that somehow I'm ending up here. But in most of my life, 98% of my life, I'm the student and engage deeply in the process that I'm talking to you about of inquiry, of looking at my beliefs of the ways that I define myself and identify myself that are not true, of my unconscious reactions, of the ways that I blame myself and blame other people. I am leaving here this afternoon and driving straight to a week-long meditation retreat, which will probably be my third or fourth retreat of the year. I have a teacher that I see um, in a small group that does inquiry and... I have a meditation practice every day, an inquiry practice every day. I do this work. It's not just me standing here and talking to you about it. It took me a while to find a, a place where I could know this is my place, this is where I can do my work. But there was never any doubt, and I looked, you know, for a long, long time. Went to lots of Buddhist meditation retreats, despite my talking a lot about Buddhism, which I adore. I don't consider myself a Buddhist, although have been quite influenced by the many Buddhist retreats that I've been to. I want to say to each of you that this work that we're talking about needs to be done as a process, usually with at least one other person to witness you, and a group, and a small group. So wherever you find that, I urge you to find that. Obviously, I started the retreat groups to start a group where the work that I'm talking about and the kind of work that I like to do and that I have found helpful and that I'm talking about at these weekends, where that kind of work could happen on an ongoing basis. Didn't really intend to still be doing these retreats, but the transformation and the love of the women in the retreat groups keeps pulling me back. I can't help myself at this point because of seeing what they're going through. That's the practice and path that I've created, but there are many, many paths. That's not the only one, there are many paths. So you have to decide for yourself. And I can't emphasize it enough that this is the map. Should you decide to walk the territory, you need a guide. You need people to be walking there with you. Otherwise, it's just too damn scary. And the momentum of the culture... It's like standing at the shore and having a tsunami come towards you and you, just one little person saying, I can swim, I'm a good swimmer. Except that every single thing in the culture is pulling you the other way. Pulling you to identify yourself with what you look like. Pulling you not to look inside and see who you are besides being the kid <laughs> the kid of the parents you were born to how you grew up, your conditioning, basically, the stories of your life. That's how we usually define ourselves. I was born here, these are my parents, this is what happened to me, I was physically abused, my mother was drunk, my father wasn't there, my father died of stage 4 lymphoma a couple of years ago, on and on and on like that. That's how we usually define ourselves. What's true, and this is what I hear from my retreat group, but also what I experience much more personally and directly, is that with enough focus and inquiry and work, you begin to see that the stories of your life never actually change. I'm never going to have been born to a different mother with a different father. I spent years trying to improve myself so that I could finally get from my mother what I never got. Years thinking that if only I could make myself better, I could have a different childhood. Somehow the stories themselves would change. What I've begun to see is that those stories of my life never change. And every time I'm caught in one, it feels exactly the same as it did 30 years ago when I got caught in it. The, oh, something's wrong with me. I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. Every time I'm in that spiral, it feels exactly the same as it did the last time I was in that spiral. And that's what I thought was going to change. But that isn't what changes. What changes is that more and more, you, I, experience ourselves without the stories. We know who we are without the stories of our lives. We actually sense what was here, who we were born as, who we are now. We sense ourselves, the essence of ourselves and the meaning of our lives. We are able to pierce through the veils of beliefs and stories to something essential, simply about being alive. What it means to have a human body in this life. What matters most to us. And to live our lives with what matters most. And so that's the process that happens. That's the process. The um, when I first started with my own eating, when it kind of occurred to me, not exactly in an epiphany moment, but that crux between being utterly suicidal and not wanting to live in A or B, I not diet, or I kill myself, that what actually happened in those weeks is that I understood that I wanted something more than I wanted to be thin. That I wanted something more than I wanted my body to be in shape, than I wanted to be a good upstanding citizen who achieved a lot of things in her life, but mostly that I wanted something more than I wanted to be thin. I wanted something more than I wanted to improve myself, to have this eating thing go away. And what I wanted was to understand myself. What I wanted was not to change my life, but to use the life I had and go deeper into it. Usually, most of us are concerned with this constant thing of improvement, changing our lives, being this image of who we think we need to be what happened to me was that I saw that I wanted to use what I already had to understand who I was instead of constantly forcing myself, pushing myself, making myself be someone that I really didn't know how to be. You know, it's kind of like we see all of these... Movie stars and glamour, this is and that's. And I mean, I had a lot of those in high school, the most popular girls in my high school, they were called the kilties. They were kind of the cheerleaders weren't cool, but the kilties wore little plaid kilts and little white boots. And they kind of stood on the sidelines. I'm not exactly sure what they did exactly, <laughs> um, maybe kicked a little bit. <laughs> and I wanted to be a kiltie but i wasn't popular enough to be a kilty i i just didn't make the grade i just so i wanted to be the kilty in every phase of my life whatever the kilty meant in the next phase i wanted to be that and then in the next phase the kilty of whatever it was in the 20s and i wanted to be that girl that woman and kept pushing to be her instead of turning around and looking and seeing who was I, instead of using my experience now. So when I understood with eating that this was my chance, this was my chance, I was dropping the agenda of self-improvement. And by that I mean I was going to drop the agenda of forcing myself rejecting myself, trying to be someone else. I stopped wanting to change. Stopped. When the struggling and efforting and forcing stops, what also stops is the suffering. The suffering stopped immediately. When you stop trying to be someone other than you are, think about it. If you're trying to be someone other than you are, there's suffering involved in there. How could there not be? You're working against your own energy. You're pushing and pushing, and it's hell. And most of our lives we spend in hell. In fact, Stephen Levine says his definition of hell is wanting to be somewhere other than you are. Hell is wanting to be somewhere other than you where you are. So every time you don't want to be where you are, you're in hell. You're in hell. Now the question is, well then what? Most of us think, if I'm not going to be where I am, the reason we want to be somewhere else because we're already suffering. Then you say to yourself, well, I'm not going to just keep pushing here. What? I'm just going to sit here and drown in my suffering then? This is the thing that I'm just doomed to? This is what I've got to live with for the rest of my life? No. No, it's not like that at all. Not at all. What I want you to understand are the fundamentals behind why inquiry works. And what inquiry basically is, let me demystify it in a moment, is just an investigation into the present moment. Where am I? and into following what's happening now with an open, allowing, curious, and lack of agenda way. An example would be if I'm eating emotionally or if I want to eat emotionally in this moment, instead of acting it out by doing it, or instead of pushing it away and denying it, watching television instead, I stay with what's happening right now. And I ask myself, what's going on now, here? What am I feeling? And I start with my body first. I start right here. Right here, right now. The reason that this works is because the desire to eat emotionally is somewhat a distortion of something very real that's going on. Some kind of real longing. Some kind of real desire. Some kind of real feeling. So what we're seeing on the outside is a kind of quirked up, distorted view of something very real. Oftentimes when we want to eat emotionally, what we want to feel is, well, what we're feeling is sad. Or we're feeling alone. Or we're feeling like there's no hope. Or we're feeling like we've been abandoned. But that never comes across because what we feel is I want to eat emotionally. And in order to get to the place of, Feeling sad, let's just say, I feel sad because my friend rejected me. So therefore, I want to eat a piece of cake. We start with, I feel I want to eat the piece of cake. Okay, what happens when I don't feel the piece of cake? I tune into my body. I feel where the feelings are. I, there's a big gray ball in my stomach. I feel this big lump. Then as I start feeling this great big gray ball, I feel, oh, I realize I feel sad. I feel really sad. My friend rejected me, said something that really hurt me. Okay, let me feel that. And then as you start feeling that, you might feel the part of you that feels unworthy, that feels empty. And so you're getting in touch with something there that's always been there. Oh, I feel unworthy. I feel empty. And it's not just because my friend rejected me. In fact, this part has been there for as long as I can remember. So I believe I feel unworthy. So let's feel into that. This is the part where you need some help. Okay, well, I just feel unworthy. I remember going to my own teacher once because one of my big theme- themes in my life was selfishness. My mother constantly told me I was selfish. There was a stamp of selfishness. So then, every time something came up, and then I, you know, acted it out. I took my brother's tasty donuts and I ate them all. And I scraped the orange icing off the Sara Lee cake, and you know, left him the crummy part. And it would be kind of like acting it out. So I remember one day going to my own teacher and saying, "I'm selfish," and she said, "So what." And uh, I said, I know, but you don't understand. It's really terrible. It's a really big deal. And she said, okay, well, what do you, wh- I think I take the biggest piece, and I grab everything. And she said, okay, well, let's just kind of hang out with you being the most selfish person in the entire world. And there was the judgment that got dropped, and just sensing into what it meant, this identity I had my entire life. I'd been carrying around since I was 11 years old selfish. Trying to improve myself and have this fake kind of niceness, fake, you know, forced sweetness and generosity. and What was real about that? Nothing. So feeling into sadness through the selfishness, but only through allowing myself to accept what I thought was unacceptable did I hit the sadness and the sorrow and the very, very young place that just said, I love my mommy. I love you. It was hard to feel the undefended heart because I was always defending myself against the selfishness. And the worst wound that happens to every single one of us, every one of us, no matter what kind of abuse we've ever endured, is that in being called names, and in the abuse, we harden ourselves and we separate from our own love. We separate from our capacity to love. And that's the deepest wound. And no one and nothing, no outside person, no matter how much they love you, can ever make up for that? The only thing that will heal you, the only thing that will ever work is for you to get back in touch with your own love. When you separate it from yourself, the memories that are in that separation, because there are memories there of when you realized I can't be vulnerable, I can't be open, I can't be loving. I can't ask for what I need because if I do, I'm gonna get slammed in one way or another. And that closing down, it's not the slamming that was the most painful. It's the fact that we closed down to what was true in ourselves. So I closed down at a very early age from loving my mother. It's taken me years to have to work through all that stuff I went through to get back to realizing I loved her. She was like a goddess to me. She was really screwed up and depressed and addicted and abusive and all that, and I loved her. And when we separate from our love for our mothers or our love for anybody else, we separate from our love, from the wellspring of our own heart. So that was kind of an example of inquiry, just the process of going through what's just happening on the surface. I don't want you to have that piece of cake, it's mine. To going all the way through back to, I love my mother. And then when I feel I love my mother, what I feel is not my mother, but my love. I feel my heart. And reconnecting with yourself is the healing, and nothing will do it but that, ever. I know because I have tried in a thousand different ways. I found a man who, when I first met him, said, I'm going to love you like no one's ever loved you in your whole life. And 20 years later, he does, and he has. But that did not heal that wound. No success has healed the wound, no thin body has healed the wound, no accomplishments, no love from anyone else has ever done it. It's the process of return, of going back to where I separated from myself, where I lost myself, where I needed to defend against my own heart, my own love, my own strength, my own compassion, my own joy, my own delight. Each one of those was a separation and each one of those has painful memories associated with it. And most of us feel like we don't want to go back there. It was too painful to begin with because the way you reclaim your wholeness, your deep, well of strength, love, joy, delight, compassion, will, peace, is by having to endure what seems like a couple of minutes, even though it might be longer than that, of pain, but that feels true and real to you, so in which you're connected with yourself, to return to the essence of yourself. It's a no-brainer. Why do anything else with your life If you would like more information on Janine's retreats, workshops, or lectures, visit her website at www.JanineRoth.com. That's wwwg Other audios, DVDs, CDs, and all of Janine's books are available for your support at her website. This audio is copyrighted by Janine Roth.